How many of you excited to be here today? I, woo, I am so glad to be here this morning. I see an old high school friend, not old, just a young high school friend. Elaine, I see you back there. We were in choir together, weren't we? Yeah. Is David Ray here? David Ray was supposed to be in from Knoxville, and also a high school buddy. Been telling me on Facebook all month, Michael, I'm going to be there. I was looking to see if he was here. Uh, wow. What a blessing. Did, were you guys just not blown off of your rocker last month when Alex preached, It's All About Me? Come on. Was that not amazing? That was an amazingly fantastic series. I'm so excited to be able to come in behind that and just to build on it, to say amen to it. Well, how much it blessed me just to be able to sit here in the service and to worship and to be ministered to as well, how God touched my heart. I'm thankful for that. I'm, you know what? I'm so excited because God is building team here at Victory. And it's not about any one of us. The series he was talking about, it's all about me. That's the issue with the world. And that's really the issue with us. If, if, if we'll get all the stuff that's about us straight and begin to realize that we've got to live by, by a larger perspective. Because when he ended it last Sunday, he said, I am us. And we've got to realize this thing is about the body. It's about all of us together. Come on, somebody. All right, come on, give the Lord praise. So this morning, I'm excited to begin this series and the text. Uh, you've got a really great-looking, very colorful uh, bulletin there in your lap. It's called Audacious. I was praying back in the summer and asking the Lord some of the things that he really wanted to say to us because we're growing. We're, we're just we're kind of busting out all over the place. Uh, matter of fact, next few weeks, we just ask you to pardon our dust because there may be some things in disarray. We, we had to turn some children away from a children's class a couple of weeks, and I heard about it after service, and I said, uh-uh, that's not ever going to happen again. And so we've got some new rooms going up. We've got some expansion to the north and some expansion to the west. Out, building out out there into that room. And, and they've been wall-to-wall and packed, and we're expanding, adding another nursery, a third nursery. And so we're excited about that because God's bringing more babies all, all, all around. Shepherd's going to be here like a Baptist rapture any minute. All right, let's look this morning to the Word of God in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The Scripture says, and if you have your notes in front of you, it will be on the board and it should be there on, your, on the screen as well. The Bible says, The wicked are edgy with guilt, ready to run off even when no one's after them. Honest people are relaxed and confident, bold as lions. Now, you've probably heard this from the King James growing up. If you've been in church very long, it says, The wicked, uh, the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. How many of you know that's you? Everybody say, He's talking about me in that scripture. Tell your neighbor right now, say, He's talking about me in that scripture. Now, when we talk about the righteous this morning, we're talking about the place that we have. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not my own works of righteousness, there is filthy rags, the scripture says. It's not about what I do or don't do, but it's what what Jesus Christ has already done. It's very, very different 
between religion, what religion says, and what the gospel says. The religion's three-word mantra is, get to work. The gospel says, it is finished. Everybody say those last three with me. It is finished. And so we, 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 we do labor, but we labor from the position of having been accepted. We're not working trying to be accepted. We are righteous now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. It's not me, but it's what he's done. And so this morning, as we look at this, the wicked are edgy with guilt. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The Bible says honest people and are relaxed and confident, bold as lions. And so this morning, as we look at this, I've decided to title this series Audacious. Everybody say audacious. And, and, and you know, you almost have to do this the way uh, one of those little old sisters in one of those little country African-American churches would say it. You'd almost have to go, audacious. Come on, do it with me right now. Audacious. Things that are audacious, the the, the dictionary defines the word audacious as this. Everybody read it with me. Showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. One more time, let's do it together. Showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold bold risk. Now, why are we saying this? Because the righteous are bold as what? As lions. All right. Another passage of scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm sorry. Yeah, 2 Samuel. That's correct. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 20 through 23. Listen as I read from the NIV. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. Now that's some amazing odds right there. He says he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. (laughs) This dude is bad to the bone. Benaiah is a bad dude. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. Last sentence. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Father, we thank you today for this time together in the Word, and we ask you in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would come and open our eyes and our ears, and you would speak and teach. You are the only teacher. The Word of the Lord says that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord hath made them both. God, we ask you for that. We ask you for understanding. We ask you for perception. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. What an amazing passage of Scripture. It's one of probably you, you, you may or may not have ever heard a message preached on this because it's sort of tucked away over in a rather obscure passage that are called the last words of David. Now, everybody remembers David. David was this mighty man who began really as a youth and got famous and came on the scene. Nobody really knew too much about him until he had the guts to stand up and face a giant by the name of Goliath. 
We all heard the story. We know about the five smooth stones. We know about the sling. We know about the amazing gutsiness of this young man at about 17 years old who stands in the face of an eight-foot-tall champion of the Philistine army. David showed absolutely no fear. He showed an, an amazing amount of courage in the face of what would make an ordinary man his knees knock together. He had something down on the inside of him that carried him and that motivated him. And this morning, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about how that moved in Benaiah's life. I want to talk about how it moved in David's life. If I've got time, I may get over and talk about it a little bit in a, guy, a guy's name by the name of Gideon. But this morning, I want to jump in quickly because we're excited. We're going to baptize several here in just a few minutes, and it's going to be an amazing time of celebration. But as we kick this series off about audacious audacity, the willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. I just want to start by saying this morning that your problem may be too big because your God may be too small. Your problem and the thing that you're focusing on, really, I want you to recognize that the problem itself is not really the problem, but it's your perspective. It's the, it's the pair of glasses through which you are looking at that problem. It's not the, the, the current state of your marriage, but it's your perspective on how you're going to handle it. It's not the bad shape in which your finances are in, but it's to whom you are looking for your source to bring you out of the difficult place that you're in today. It's not the latest report that you might have gotten from the doctor, but it's the report that you choose to believe. We shall believe the report of the Lord. Now, I hadn't had a chance to preach in about a month, and I've got a whole lot of stuff pent up on the inside of me this morning. And, and I, I, I just want you to give me just a few minutes today because I believe I've got something that will get down on the inside of you and that will begin to make you see that there is a big God and you can begin to be audacious in your courage. I want to talk about courage. I believe audacious people have the ability to see and seize God-ordained opportunities. My first point this morning, say it with me. Spiritual maturity is seeing and seizing God-ordained opportunities. Benaiah was just about nuts. This guy was not afraid of taking on a fight that was way bigger than it looked like to everybody else than he was himself. I, I, I'm amazed when I read this passage of scripture and I hear about him taking on two of Moab's men, taking, stepping into a fight with a huge Egyptian, seven feet tall with this particular guy. And the Egyptian has a spear and Benaiah only has a club. He's not afraid. He's, yeah, he probably is afraid, but there is something that's moving on the inside of him that's bigger than the fear that's trying to hold him back. There's a sense of courage. Everybody say courage. Now, put that up for me if you would. Courage, the definition of courage, is the ability to do something that frightens one. You know, it's, it's so wrong that when we think that if somebody has courage, they don't have fear. Because in order to have courage, by definition, there has to be a circumstance that would make you afraid. Because courageous doesn't mean that you step into something that, that is easy. 
Courage means you are mustering from the very bottom of your bare feet. You're pulling up something from way down in the depths of your soul in order to be able, some fortitude, some resolution. Come on, let me make it plain. Some guts. It's taken something uh, of some, some courage. It comes from the French word cour. It means heart. It means you're, you're filled with something so full of heart that heart looks beyond the circumstances that would make an ordinary man shake and tremble and run away and flee. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. I'm talking to a room full of people this morning that have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, that Jesus has called your name. He's written it in the Lamb's book of the life. If if you've put your trust in him and said, Jesus, save me, your your name is written there this morning. If you've never done that, you're going to have an opportunity at the close of this service to do that today, and we're excited about that. Courage means standing up in the face of difficulty. It means... Literally, Mark Twain said it this way. He said, courage is is resistance to fear. It is mastery of fear. It is not the absence of fear. What did David say in the Psalms? What time I am afraid, then I will put my trust and my hope in the Lord. How many of you know when when fear and doubt assail you and, 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 and stormy winds begin to blow and it starts to overwhelm you. How many of you know you've got to reach and take a hold of something that is bigger than and that is stronger than that provides an anchor for your soul? Come on, somebody. Somebody also said courage is the power to let go of the familiar. Wow. How we can so quickly as Christians get into ruts. Benaiah, what a gutsy dude. He wasn't afraid to look fear in the mouth. And this particular story that we read about, this mouth has the jagged canines of a lion, and he has a deafening roar. I remember when Drew, my my son who's 22, is a senior at A-State this year and finishing up. Hopefully we give God prayers to that. I believe he he is. He is. He's doing fine. He's doing great. Um. I took him to the Overton Park Zoo when he was about five, six years old, something like that. And we walked in that great big canine, the house where all the cats are. And we're standing there, and you know, you're really hoping when you go to the zoo that the animals are not going to be sleeping or hibernating. And you know, you're wanting them to see and show up and you know, do their whole thing. The monkeys to jump and squeal, and, and, and the elephant to you know, raise his snout and you know, the whole trumpet thing that they do. And man, I'm going to tell you, there wasn't a whole lot happening that day, and it was starting to get a little disappointing. And I'm to the point where I'm just, you know, I'm going, okay, Lord, I, I, help me out here. You know, I, this is supposed to be a special day with my son. And, and uh, man, we walked into that. I'm trying to resist to say the cat house. And we walked into that place. <laughs> we walked into the canine corner. <laughs> and, and we stand in there and we're behind this big, you know, bar. And there's the, the, the bars where all the different cats, the leopard and the, the, the tiger and, and the big lion. And there's not a whole lot going on. And so little old Drew's standing there. I said, Drew, won't you growl that lion? He goes, Rrr. And do you know that lion kind of got up and looked around at him? And all of a sudden, nobody, everybody's just standing there, all of a sudden let out this most outrageous, deafening, blood-curdling roar that you could hear almost you felt like the walls were shaking in that cat house. And Drew's eyes were about as big as dinner plates. 
And he's standing there like this. I mean, his whole body is shaking. <laughs> he said, he looked at me, he said, Papa, make him do it again. I said, I didn't have a thing to do with that. <laughs> I remember one time he was growing up and I was a little angry with him and I hollered at him and he was probably two or three years old and, and he said, he said, Ooh, Papa, like a lion. <laughs> What in the world possessed Benaiah for him to do what this scripture says? He didn't just take on two Moabites at the same time. He didn't just kill an Egyptian with a spear in his hand and a club in his own. But he literally chased a lion down into a pit on a snowy day. This dude is crazy. He's out of his mind. What possessed him to do that? I'm going to tell you something. I believe something happened when all those men got together and started following David because they knew that the hand of God was on him and that old Saulish administration was about to die, but God was raising up a new generation. He was raising up something with new and a fresh perspective, something of victory in the land to bring back the praises of God into the mouth of the people. And I want you to know they hung out over there for two or three years in the, in the cave of Adullam. And something starts happening when you get a bunch of men together who begin to get vision that starts to get fine-tuned. Because it was, it was in that place where there was a group of men. And you know something? Men really just are kind of mature boys. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's something that really, if it, if, if, if it never really fully grows out of you as a man, there's something that drives you to adventure. There, there is something that is God-ordained just in the way God physiologically made you and just put a, a machine, a, a, a testosterone-producing uh, ability on the inside of you that would drive you to succeed, that would drive you to, to go out and catch the prey, that would drive you to find and capture that beautiful woman and ask her to marry you. There's a sense of adventure, and I'm going to tell you something. I hate it that in Southern churchianity, we've tried to emasculate that. In, in Southern churchianity, we try to, in so many places, we try to just calm the men down, and we sort of try to take the adventure out of them. And most men in churches think that to be a Christian man means that you're nice. How many of you know as young boys, you didn't set out dreaming that you would one day grow up to be a nice man? He's so nice. Now, how many of you know it's good to be nice? But how many of you know as men, we need to be fully in touch with the spirit of adventure, the spirit of faith, the conquering warrior spirit that is on the inside of you that God wired you and made you to be that? As the priest of your home, as the head of your house, not that stomps on a, a, a woman to make her weak and make her submit. Let me tell you something. I am the head of my house because that amazing woman sitting right there on the front row lets me be. This, this, is, a, this is a covenant where we walk side by side and she is my helpmeet. And I'm going to tell you, I listen to what she has to say and we fuss about it a little bit. I just want to laugh out loud when people say, we've been married 20 years and we've never had a fight. Well, somebody's a doormat in that relationship, honey. I just want you to know, I want you to hear from your pastor that we is real folk. She pushes my buttons and I push her buttons and I'm going to tell you I'm thankful to God that I've got a woman who is a mighty woman of God and we walk together and we work together and we sometimes fuss it out. 
And then we get to get our, our minds and our hearts and our souls on the same page. And then when we stand in agreement, let me tell you something. Heaven and earth moves out of the way because we are joined together in the name of Jesus. I believe that. But there's something going on in all these men. I guarantee you there's some competition that's happening there. Just like there is a bunch of, among a bunch of boys, you get a bunch of guys together and there's this, this one's got to have a little bit of competition and try to outdo the other one. You get on the golf course and you got to drive that ball farther. You got to drive your car faster. You got to pop that wheelie on your motorcycle and you got to ride it farther down the street. Come on, don't, don't even look at me in that kind of tone of voice because that's the very thing, ladies, that attracted to you him in the first place. It, it drew you to him because you saw some gutsiness. Why is it that women go after the bad boys and, and, and instead of letting God sanctify that, that, which doesn't mean take it away from them, but it means channel it into something that can advance the kingdom of God. Why is it that they go after those guys with a sense of vision and passion and then just try to totally tame it down? And then in 15 years, you're bored. Sometimes you got what you wanted. And then it doesn't satisfy. I believe God's got some bananas sitting in this room. Come on, men. Come on. Are there any men brave enough to say, yeah, I want to be in that group? Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. There's some challenges that are taking place in the cave. Because they're all basically going, I bet you can't jump over that from, from one side of that hole to the other. I bet, I bet you can't collect, just like this is dove hunting weekend. Everybody's all going out there trying to bag their limit. You know, we've got these shotguns today, and we, we go shoot skeet, and we try to practice so that we can get ready when the doves start flying. Well, they're doing it with bows and arrows. And they're capturing those hogs, those wild hogs. Hey, how about them hogs this weekend? Can somebody say Amen. <laughs> there's something going on there's, there, there, is, there is a challenge there's a dare that's set forth and these men are rising to the occasion and they're, 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 they're stepping out in faith a little bit more and because of that camaraderie because of that competition because of giving themselves to one they were there for the purpose of making David king when we can get a group of men in this church that are solely come together for the purpose of making Jesus king of our homes and our families and over the whole delta and over the mid-south, I want you to know we're going to see some mighty men of God raise up in this place. I believe that with all of my heart. Benea, crazy man. What happens when you start to get groups of men like this together? In groups like this where vision is born and where passion is bred, you start to get brothers together like this and they challenge each other and they hold each other accountable. Let me just say real quick, I'm going to give you a little, real quick, you, you, you need to, men, you need to be there next weekend at the Big River Throwdown. We're, going to, we're not just going to float the river together, but we're going to see God speak some things down into the depths of our soul and challenge us to be the men that God's called us to be. Ladies, if your man's not going, I, I ask you, nag him until he agrees to go. Need to be there. Men and women, you need to be in a life group. They're starting in October. Spiritual maturity is seeing and seizing God-ordained opportunities. Everybody doesn't think about a lion runs by and you go chase him down into where he falls into a pit and then killing that lion with your bare hands. Some of you guys are facing some lions this morning. Other people see those opportunities as problems. I want you to see them as God-ordained opportunities. Opportunities. 
grab your problem by the horns and begin to serve God in the process and commit and then follow through in your commitment, in your commitment to Christ. You know what? I, I remember a story as I was praying over this. It was a kid that tormented me in the second grade, followed me around, calling me names. I was a little bit late to mature in some areas and overweight. I fought a weight problem my whole life and had heard the fatty thing and, you know, didn't have anything to do with the fact that my mom went to Sears and bought my jeans and they had a big patch on the back that said Husky right there. <laughs> Yo, Husky. <laughs> but I want you to know I've healed from that. <laughs> this kid rests just all over the time. His first name was David. That's all I'm going to say. And man, he messed around with me. And there was a couple of guys that are fourth or fifth graders a little bit bigger that I guess kind of liked me. And so they sort of, you know, hung around with me together for, for there for just two or three weeks. And they would, every time he would come up and start to challenge, they would kind of push him away, you know, and say, man, just going out of here. Well, you know, what's, what's your problem? One day, finally, I'd had enough of it, and I said, no, guys, I, thanks. I appreciate it. I'm going to handle this. And he was, he was doing to me like Goliath was taunting the, the Israelite soldiers every morning, walking out there and hurling insults to the God of Israel. Hey, bring me a man. Any of you got any guts whatsoever? Come on out here. I'm going to feed you to the vultures of the air. And he's issuing, he's trash-talking the Israelite army. And David was trash-talking me. And, man, we'd already had some skirmishes. I'd been beat up a little bit. I just finally said, I am not going to put up with this anymore. Now, I'm just going to give you a little disclaimer right here. There's an asterisk right at this point. Please forgive me for what I'm about to say because I'm just real. I looked David in the face, and I told the two other fourth graders that were bigger, just back off. And I stepped down right there in his face, and I said, David, and I called his last name. And I said, I'm about to beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. Because I had been raised by my mama, don't fight. And my daddy would tell, pull me to the side and say, don't listen to her. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. I don't care if you got to pick up something. You better put the hurt on that kid. Because when you get home, if you don't, I'm going to put the hurt on you, boy. <laughs> and so that day I looked at him and I said, I said, David, I'm about to beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. And I saw... And I seized my God-ordained opportunity. I grabbed him around the neck, threw him down on the ground, and I jumped on him. Broke a couple of ribs that day. And I want you to know that he never did bother me again. Now, I didn't know we had a child in here. I wouldn't have said that word. I don't advocate talking like that. But how many of you know, as a man... There comes a time when you have to look something in the face and you say, I am not, I'm drawing the line right here. I am not going to put up with that any longer. And something on the inside of you called courage rises up and becomes bigger than the fear that's staring you in the face. And you grab that thing by the neck and you throw it down and you change your destiny from that point on. Come on, somebody. Let me move quickly. Impossible odds. Point two, set the stage for amazing miracles. Now, I don't know who the bookie was in Jerusalem that day when this stuff was going on, but think about the scripture that we just read. 
Benaiah took out two of Moab's men at once. He's already at two to one odds. Your problem may be bigger than you think you can handle. Let me tell you, when you get in that situation, your focus can't be on how big your problem is. You've got to look at how much bigger your God is than your problem. And let me tell you something. When, when you're looking at an infinite God, all finites are equal. Don't care how crazy it is. Don't care how much it is in terms of how much in the hole you are in the red. If you're about to go bankrupt. If the, the woman of your life and your dreams is totally headed up to here and she's not that tall yet. I want to tell you God is big enough. He will get down into that pit with you. He will help you face that lion and kill that thing so that you can be a victor. Come on somebody. The Egyptian, probably 10 to 1 odds. He's another foot taller than Benaiah is. He's got a spear. Benaiah's got a club. Man, I'm telling you, something on Benaiah grabbed a hold on the inside of him, and he rushed that guy, and he took that Egyptian down, took that spear out of his hand, and then killed that dude with his own spear. I love that. The third story is he chases a lion down into a pit. Now, can you imagine? This, you're sitting here watching a movie. And you've got this Jeremiah Jones, call of the wild, kind of a big, burly, big, hairy, kind of a massive dude that, that fear doesn't usually even enter his vocabulary. And a lion runs across in front of him. And typically, when men see lions, men run the other way because we talk about lion tamers, but we don't have a category in our vocabulary for lion chasers. You know, you watch the Discovery Channel, and typically it's the lion, gobble, gobble, that's eating up the prey. Hey, I can have that in two bites. But there's something about Benaiah that day who basically doesn't back up one bit, and he, he, something of courage rises up on the inside of him, and he decides he's going to give chase to that lion. And the lion says, this, this ain't no ordinary dude. I'm not getting a bite out of him. i got to get out of here if I'm going to keep my life. And here goes the lion running off like a scared cat. And somewhere along the way, he falls down into a pit. That's where I would have said, okay, fine, he's trapped, I'm out of here. But Benaiah walks down into the pit. And we're watching this on a movie, and we can't really see what's going on in the pit, but we hear this deafening, blood-curdling roar, and we hear the scream of a man. We hear scuffling and we hear fighting and we know that something's going on down there and flesh is being torn apart and something's dying but we're not really sure because we still hear the sound of the lion and we hear the voice of the man. But in a moment, everything goes silent. You can almost feel it in the surround sound in the theater and you see this big bloody guy pulling up. The, the blood is in the strings of his hair and he comes up with the lion on his back up out of the pit Two sets of tracks, lion and man, down into the pit. One set of tracks, man comes out, kills the lion with his bare hands. God, give us some men that will face their personal lions. What are the lions that you're facing this morning? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it health? Any number of circumstances that you might face. I want to move quickly to my third point because past victories, men, when you trust God and God answers prayer, past victories prepare me for future challenges. 
when I can put my faith and my trust in God and I can see God move heaven and earth and circumstances change, the God who works all things after the counsel of his own will, the God who if I'll put my trust in him, he will work all things together for my good because I love him and because I'm called according to his purpose because I've made the choice to follow him and make him the Lord of my life. When I make that kind of decision to follow him, the things that he's brought me through in the past are for a reason. God makes no mistakes. The battle that you're in right now, don't give up. I saw last night at the beatdown at Southland where they had two guys. Both of them weighed 195 pounds. One of them is about 5'7", and the other one is 6'4". And I'm, we're almost laughing out loud when these two guys are pitted against each other. The first fight of the night... Pastor, what were you doing there? Well, they asked me to give the invocation. So I get up and I open the thing by welcoming everybody and saying, hey, come on to victory at 1030 in the morning. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And I said, Jesus, you took a beat down for us. And in about two minutes, I presented the gospel in that place. Well, that's why I was in that place, because I believe people need to hear who Jesus is. And I'm sick and tired of them having this southern fried, greasy grace, little limp-wristed, pale-faced Jesus with a sheep around his neck. I want them to see Jesus as a big, bad, to the bone kind of a dude. Jesus was not this little, bitty, weak, limp kind of a dude. Jesus grew up in a carpenter shop, guys. He was handling timbers. He had some muscles. He was a man's man. I believe he got on the campfire around with those disciples, and I believe they were men. I don't believe they were dirty. I don't believe they were nasty. But I believe they told jokes, and they laughed, and they had a good old time the way men, real men, act. But they were on fire with a vision, and they had a sense of purpose. And I, I, I want young men to see that because, oh, God, we desperately need young men to, to catch a vision. And we need some older men who've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and have had some wisdom who've killed some lions and who've come out of some pits financially and out of some pits relationally and you've come out of a drug pit and God's delivered you. There's another young man who needs to hear how you did it because he's struggling with it in this room this morning. Your past victories prepare you for your future challenges. I love Benea's name. Everybody say Benea. Do you know what that word means? The word Benea, the name literally means Yahweh has built. Built by God. This dude, this dude is rippling with muscles. <laughs> he's, he's got everything that every Israelite young man wants. And this dude has got it, but he is so focused in his sense of advancing the kingdom. That he's willing to take out two men at once. He's willing to, to go into the face of an Egyptian a foot taller than him who's got a spear. He's willing to do all those things against what the odds makers say that can be done. Because he's a man who is filled with courage. Listen to this. A Greek philosopher 2,400 years ago said it this way. You don't develop courage by being happy in your relationships every day. You develop it by surviving difficult times and challenging adversity. What are you facing this morning? Your past victories will prepare you for your current, your present challenges. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is not on the notes, so just listen. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. Verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. 
David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, the odds were against him. You're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb for the flock, I went after him and struck him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. I love that. David's talking to King Saul. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, mm, mm, I don't know about you, but I almost feel like he got a little bit of a sense of Africa on him. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. (laughs) I mean, you know, David was a singer. I believe there was something down on the inside of him, and he said, And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Everybody say, Audacious. If you have the God of the ages on the inside of you, you have the ability to have courage in the face of any circumstance. You don't have to be a victim because he called you to be a victor. You're not going under, you're going over because the conquering one is living on the inside of you. Let me wrap this up this morning. Now, I want you to hear this. This is why I'm challenging you to be audacious in your courage. Because we're going to get up and we're going to go to work tomorrow. And I hope that maybe some of you just remember the spirit that's in this room right now. Because you're going to face some problems that, that really may not have an immediate solution. It, it, it may be where you're going to get the financing for your business. You, you may be in a capital crunch right now. There may be a cash flow issue. And you're a man of God trusting the Lord to, to advance the business that you know that he gave you. And, and, and I could stop and list any number of different circumstances of problems that we're going to face this week. It may be temptation in the face of keeping your vows to your mate because something may walk in front and cross in front of you and try to lure you away from the vows of commitment of purity to that one. I don't, I don't know what kind of lion you're going to have to look in the mouth this week. It may be fighting the temptation to go back because you are in such a place of depression and absolute j- just feeling isolation and you're ready to run back to some of your comfort zones of those drugs of the past or whatever your favorite flavor was that pulled you out of that and gave you a little sense of comfort. I mean, I'm talking real this morning. It may be alcohol. It may be sex. It may be drugs. It it may be any number of places where you're going to have to look a lion in the mouth and you're going to have to chase that thing down and kill it. I want you to know that if you'll see those as opportunities, if you'll be a problem solver, if you'll see God bigger than the problem you're facing and God will give you the wisdom, he'll whisper into your heart the answer to that thing, if you'll realize that in the middle of every problem there are the seeds of its own solution. God will give you direction, and he'll help you to change those circumstances. And problem solvers are the first in line for promotion. Remember this passage we just read? 
When it came time for, for David to hire a bodyguard and put somebody in charge, how many of you know he didn't go down to, to Jericho's bar and grill and get Guido? <laughs> he didn't call Brinkman's security service in Jerusalem. But he started looking at resumes. This guy's trained in jujitsu, and he's a Brazilian fighter, and he's a boxer, and he said, he keeps looking through, and he's going, no, no, not impressed. Next, no, no, no. what's next? Benaya chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Can you, hey, get my secretary in here. Would you call this dude called, named Benaya? I want him down here. I want him in charge of my bodyguard. What am I saying to you this morning? If you can go into your place of work, And choose not to be a whiner or a complainer, but choose to be somebody who can bring a solution to the table. Choose to be somebody to say, I don't know how we're going to answer this. I don't know how we're going to fix it, but I'm going to tell you something. I know somebody who can. I'm going to pray, and God's going to give us wisdom. And you know what? You don't even have to tell them that. You can just do it and then come up with the answer. Are you hearing me this morning? Benaiah was put in charge of David's bodyguard. Finally this morning, and I'm finished, going through the experience helps me to unlearn my fears. You know, after you kill your first lion, the next one's not as intimidating as the one that you faced the first time. After you're able to say no to that next temptation, to go get you a fix, to go back to what God delivered you out of, after you can stare it in the face and say, no, I'm going to put my trust in your jonesing for some of that, that flavor, whatever it is. And you put your trust in God and you say, God, I cry out to you. You're going to have to help me. When you stare that lion in the face, the next one does not look nearly as intimidating. Come on, somebody say amen. Scripture says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind and of self-control. The only God-ordained fear, folks, is the fear of God. If you will make a decision to fear God, you do not have to be afraid of anyone or anything else. He will be your supply. He will be your strength. He will be your storehouse. Mm, He will show up when you need some of that morphine power now, whatever it is. When you've got to be transformed, when you've got to be stronger than, when you've got to rise up and be bigger than. Come on. So much of the time, we've been trained to be fearful of so many different things. There's a thousand different phobias. There's even a phobia phobia, a fear of fears. It's ridiculous the things that people can get so wrapped up in and afraid of. Fear of public speaking, fear of heights, fear of water, fear of strangers. Fear of the number 13, triskaidekaphobia. All of these phobias that are all around us, and God is not ordained for us to ever have the spirit of fear. We are only ordained, we are only destined to have one fear, and that's the fear of God and God alone. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare. If I'm afraid of somebody, I can't do what God's called me to do. But if I fear God, I don't have to fear anybody else. Come on. It's a great quote, and I'm finished. Half of learning is learning. The other half of learning is unlearning. Unfortunately, unlearning is twice as hard as learning. 
I mean, you know, that's the challenge that Jesus faced looking at the religious folks on a daily basis, the Pharisees, because they'd had generations of tradition that had been handed them. And they become fearful of place, fearful of losing their status. All kinds of lions that we face. And I want you to know there's one, our adversary. This is not on the, the board either in your notes, and I'm finished. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. King James says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking someone, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 goes on to say, resist him firm in your faith. Everybody say, resist the devil. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But I, I want to get that too. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. As I bring this message to a close this morning, I just want to...